in a series of messages from the Gospel of Luke. It's the largest gospel, has the most material about the life of Christ. And the goal of the series is that we would see Jesus, who he is, what he has accomplished, and the implications that that has for your life. He has done what no one else can. What does that mean to you? How does that apply? And today we're going to look at Luke chapter 5, and it's a fishing story. And whether you fish or not, have any interest in fishing, the message has enormous implications for your life. And that means whether you're a Christian, some of you may have been following Christ a good portion of your life, depending on your age. Whether you consider yourself curious about Christianity, indifferent, you're just here, you don't know, I will tell you this passage has something to say to all of us. And it's a fish story. But this is not about the one that got away. All right? So Luke chapter 5, if you have your Bible, please turn there. Luke wrote, On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him, he's talking about Jesus, to hear the word of God, he was sitting by the lake of Gennesar. And he saw two boats by the lake, And the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little way from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I'll let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish. And their nets were breaking. And they signaled to their partners in the other boats to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of the fish they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Now, right up front. I want you to get something. I don't want you to miss this. This is a recounting of what took place, of this miraculous catch of fish. The details surrounding it. The power displayed in the miracle. All of those things matter. But the miracle was not the point then. Nor is it the point for you today. And I don't want you to miss that. It has actually, what occurs in the passage has profound implications for all of us. Yes, namely even you. So here is the essence. In these first 11 verses, the essence of of the text that I want you to get. A miraculous work of Jesus turns into an ordinary invitation 
to be a disciple of Christ. And in this instance, fishing gets redefined for fishermen. So there's a question that comes from that. Question for all of us that as we answer it this morning will hopefully help you understand the application that is for your life. And it's this. In what ways is this fishing story? And the interaction between Jesus and Peter, in what ways is that relevant for your life today? So how we're going to do how we're going to do this, we're going to walk back through the text. We're going to unpack the text. We're going to look at what occurs and what might not be immediately apparent to your eye hopefully will come into view. So let's look at verse 1 again. First of all, Luke tells us the setting. By the Lake of Gennesar. Now, also, Lake of Gennesar is the Sea of Galilee or the Sea of Tiberias. You say, well, Brian, why does Luke call it that? Well, that's what he calls it. And it has, probably has something to do with this little tiny fertile area of ground that's on the northwest corner of the lake. And maybe that is where the miracle occurs. The lake is 13 miles wide, 13 miles long, 8 miles wide. It's a freshwater lake. All the events that occur right here, whether you know it is Sea of Galilee, Sea of Tiberias, this is where it is. And there's a crowd that's gathered to listen to Jesus. And Jesus, in this moment, sees two boats. But the fishermen, namely Simon, James, and John, were not in the boats, but they were washing their nets. Now, let me pause here just for a second. Do you see the detail that Luke is giving us? Something about ancient literature that you need to understand. Legend was not written this way. The amount of details, the immense events surrounding the, those things, this is a recounting of an eyewitness account as Luke has heard it. So the nets were washed, and they're stretched out to keep them from rotting. It's the only reason to wash them is so that they can be useful to the owner in the days ahead. And it's likely sometime late morning, as fishing was done at night, the night before, and fish were sold in the morning in the marketplace, or they were salted to preserve them. This was their livelihood. Fish were caught in the dark, and fish were caught in the shallows, while others slept, commercial fishermen worked. Fishing took courage, it took tenacity. They did not have radar to know what's going to happen with a storm, all right? In some ways, it's like modern-day sales, for lack of a, a better way of saying it. You can work all day and make nothing. It can be rewarding. But it also can be a time where you show nothing for your work. Now, some of you who know me, you know that I worked in sales for many years. It was a love-hate relationship. And when I say hate, that is not an extreme term in this case, all right? Now, here's the reason why. I loved it because of this. No one was determining what I was going to make per hour. If I wanted a raise, all I had to do is go out and get one. However, there were many days there was a little nerve-wracking as I did not sell anything. And if I did not sell anything, I did not make anything. And if I did not make anything, my 
band would not eat, all right? So, like sales, fishing commercially takes faith. And it takes faith to be in those roles, as it does take faith to follow Christ and obey his voice. Verse 3. Jesus gets into one of the boats, which belonged to a man by the name of Simon. And he asked him to push out a little way so that he could sit down and teach. So this afforded in this moment, this crowd, for him to get a little bit of distance so that they could see him, they could hear him. And in this particular instance, you say that he was seated, just Pastor Brad alluded to last week or the week before. This was often the posture of those who were teaching um, in the synagogue. And so that's what Jesus does. He sits down and begins to teach. There's a time for teaching. There's a time for preaching. There's a nameless crowd. And the nameless crowd is there to hear the teaching. But listen to this. The people identified in the story, the names that Luke mentions are the ones that he wants you to see what happens in their life. Verse 4. After Jesus finishes teaching, he says to Simon, Go out to deeper water and let your, nets, let, let your nets down for a catch. Now let's stop here for a minute, just for a moment, and consider something that may be beyond what is apparent in your, in your, in your mind. These are commercial fishermen. They've worked all night. They're tired. They've caught nothing. And... Peter, or uh, Simon, is uh, a captive audience. He's in the boat, and this carpenter's teaching. He can't go anywhere, all right? Now, think about all night, he's in the boat, carpenter's teaching. And then the carpenter turns to him and says something that makes no sense at all. First, go out to deep water. Fish are caught in the shallows. It's daytime. Fish were caught at night. The nets are clean. The owners are tired. The crowd is likely watching. Now, you feel the tension building. That's what's happening. Verse 8. The first word of verse 8 introduces a contrast. But is contrast. But is showing something happens that you did not expect. But it's not what you might think. The contrast is not the expected thing. Peter is dumbfounded. The catch comes. The circumstance of the catch, the location of the catch, the amount of the catch. It's unlikely Peter has ever seen this kind of haul. Certainly not in his nets. I'm sure this moment. Let's just be honest. I'm sure this moment for him was like, we've hit the mother load. All my dreams of fishing success are fulfilled right here, right now. However, I contend the but in the text is not about that. It's about something else. It's about the response that we see. In fact... Look carefully at verse 8. This is a moment where a man by the name of Simon is called 
Simon Peter, and that is no coincidence. A change is fundamentally taking place. It's the first and it's the only time we see Simon Peter, quote, Simon Peter together like this. Something is happening. Something is changing. Namely, someone is changing. There's a reaction that you might not expect. It's the thing that happens when you and I, when Peter gets near the holiness of Jesus. It's the expected reaction when we begin to see ourselves accurately as we gaze on Christ fully. This is what happens. An accurate assessment of yourself as you look at Christ fully and he comes into picture. See, when you and I begin to see Christ fully, our lives take on a more accurate representation. The moment of sinful awareness happens in Peter's life. When you and I get close to Christ, we begin to see that there's a difference between him and us. So I contend that if you are here today, within the sound of my voice, and you think yourself casually chummy with Jesus you likely have a very inadequate understanding of yourself in light of who he is. Peter's response in this moment is about the conviction of his sin. He no longer sees Jesus as master and teacher. Now, let me explain that. Master, teacher. Both of those words are used throughout this gospel. Master, you saw him refer to master earlier. That means one in authority Simon saw Jesus as one in authority. The crowd came to hear what? A teacher. And crowd, the nameless faces, are often see Jesus as a teacher. That same thing happens today. A good teacher. But that's not what Simon begins to see here. In fact, he, it beckons us to Isaiah's view of God. Isaiah in chapter 6, the Bible says, And I saw the Lord high and lifted up. And his response in that moment is, woe is me. I'm undone. I'm unclean. That is what happens when you come in the presence of the Holy God. Simon becomes Simon Peter. And his response is that get away. Whoa, woe is me. Now we may not, may not make a lot of sense to us right in this moment, but that's what's occurring. There's much more than the miracle or the circumstances around it. So here are the things that I'd like for you to see. I want to talk about the takeaways for all of us this morning. What are the takeaways that are applicable to your life right now? I'm going to offer you three things. First, this. Jesus meets you right where you are. But his presence invades and his presence exposes everything that's relevant. Who he is when he comes into view, he is no longer master or teacher. Look at how Simon Peter refers to him at the end of verse 8. Depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. He is beginning to see him for who he is. 
And if we see him fully, our view of our greatest need comes into focus. All of life for each of us in our broken world that we live, it can be scary. Let's just talk about what it's like here at home in America for just a moment. The road ahead for you as a Christian, you may see it as fraught with challenges. For Christians, as they seek to honor God and to stand for what is honorable in God's sight. But please hear me, whether you're a Christian or not, for people who are unbelievers, do you know that today is a day of unsurety about the future for them as well? We're all unsure of what the future holds for us. Broken hearts, disease, and pain is not a left aisle, right aisle, conservative, democratic position. It is a human thing. We're all messed up to some degree. Life's hard. For some of you this morning, you could say, Brian, you have no idea. Life is really hard for you right now. I want you to also see that when I say Jesus meets you right where you are, he comes into your domain, wherever it may be. Do you know that that fishing boat belonged to who? Peter. And Jesus is parked in Peter's boat. It is his domain. He met him right there, and he meets you right where you are in the places that you live, the places that you see as defined of you, whether it be your workplace or your home. Some of you are road warriors, flying airplanes. Wherever you may be, Jesus comes right there, right where you are. He parks himself right in the midst of your relationships with all the things that matter to you. He knows everything about you. He knows what you feel. He knows what you face. He knows your history. All, all of it, all of it comes right there. So Peter's reaction when you look at this may seem odd to you, but it's not odd when you begin to see Jesus fully and take a look at yourself accurately. So who are you? Well, you're a sinner. And none of us like to be called that. But in that moment, when Christ comes and says, you are a sinner by nature and by choice, the response is like Peter's. Get away. I don't want to hear it. Get away from me. Or I don't want to, I, I want to escape. Peter can't go anywhere. He can't walk on water. All right. None of us want to be called sinners. Most people already know that they're messed up. And the rest of us are just delusional about it, right? But being reminded of of it sometimes just makes us feel worse or makes you angry. Or you get defensive. 
At least I'm not like, just fill in the blank. No one wants to be accused of being a sinner, and certainly no one wants to be accused of being an idolater. In our minds, that means that we get lumped in with the Israelites. Somewhere in a desert, somewhere. And they're out melting gold and making calves. And we look at that and we go, what's wrong with those people? But idolatry takes many forms. Some of them, it's physical. And they're being manufactured all the time, but some of them are not. Things that we trust, whether it be money, success, jobs, status, followers. We make children our idol and how they turn out. A myriad of things that we trust in. Things that bring consuming grief with the thought that we may not attain them or we might lose them. It's potentially anything that you would do anything to get or sin to keep. That looks like an idol. And if it walks like an idol, talks like an idol, but you need not be afraid to call it what it is. See, some people feel like when that gets poked and it hurts, they feel called out. They feel like uh, a pastor or preacher is calling them out. When actually, that's not what's going on. Actually, what's happening is that you're just like the rest of us. Everyone around you. We have things that we trust in that gives us security and meaning apart from God. And when Jesus comes near, that sometimes gets exposed. And it hurts. And we want to be anywhere but in his presence. He challenges, this is what he challenges. He challenges your status quo of your life. What it means to be a follower. His presence and power shows us that we, yes, we, Brian Fannin, I'm a sinner. Another takeaway that's applicable right now for all of us is this. Jesus compels you to obey in the everyday aspects of your life. Everyday aspects. Hear his call to obey in the things that you think you know plenty about. Now, here's what I mean by that. Do you not think that Peter knows a little bit about fishing? Yes. But if you pause just for a moment, does it not make sense that the God overall knows a little bit more about the fish and fish behavior than Peter does. Yes. Dads. Jesus knows more about being dad, what it takes to be a good dad than you do. He knows husbands and wives. He knows more about what it means to be a good spouse and how to go about it than you do. Whatever your walk of life may be, whatever you find yourself doing, whatever you do for a living, whatever your relationships are, wherever you live, Christ knows more about it than you do. 
and he calls you to obey in those things. And when you do, it opens the door to seeing him more fully, seeing yourself accurately. And it opens the door for you to experience what God will do with you more powerfully. Jesus compels you to obey in the everyday aspects of life. And in that aspect, one of the things he compels you to obey is the very thing that he says to Peter. He tells him to not be afraid. He, ke- he tells us, do not leave, uh, leave. He tells us, leave your sin and leave your fear. See, when God exposes us for who we are, it does create fear. It is the appropriate response. The idea of standing before a holy God who sees everything about you should cause some level of instability in your life. And if it doesn't, see the part about being delusional, all right? It's the appropriate response. It's the response of Adam and Eve where they hid from his holy presence. But what Peter needed to learn is the same thing that you and I need to know and understand. When we say to Christ, go away, his response is no. No, not going away. And he says, don't be afraid. That makes no sense to us. See, but the guilt of your sin does not repulse Jesus. He is described in Scripture as a friend of sinners. He comes close and he tells you not to be afraid. What you should fear looks different. What you should fear is dishonesty about being a sinner. Dishonesty about your sin, what it does to you. You should fear not bringing your sin to Christ. You should fear hiding it, ignoring it, pretending that you know what's best for your life and you give no account for your life. Fear that God has no claim on your life. You should fear any part of you that thinks that God ignores your sin or God winks at your sin. God doesn't care about your sin. Because everybody else is doing it. After all, it's 2021. Don't think that way. See, Jesus knew that Peter's cry, go away from me, is actually a plea. Oh, help me. I'm a sinner. And when Jesus says, do not be afraid, you need to understand that he is making a promise. My love for you. And my purpose for you is greater than your weakness and your failure. John 21, there's a similar instance of a miraculous catch of fish. It occurs after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And in that particular recounting of what happens, the disciples are in the boat. Jesus is building a charcoal fire on the shore. They've caught nothing. It's a morning. Jesus looks out at the guys and say, hey, drop your nets. They don't recognize Jesus in that moment. They're about 100 yards away, the Bible says. They drop the nets as they take the fish, miraculous catch of fish, 
Their eyes are open and they see him for who he is. Where Peter previously is saying, get away from me, a contrast is shown. Peter jumps in the water, swims and runs to Jesus. Why? Why? Because he had known the character of Jesus. Look, he had already spectacularly failed denying his Savior. Look, this is the guy that whips out of swords, cuts off ear, sticking his foot in his mouth all the time. But he runs to him. He understood that Jesus restores. He comes to restore some of you this morning. Some of you today, 2020 wreaked havoc on your life. The last few months, all that you've seen on television, all that you've thought, all that you thought was real, all that you think is fake, all things in between, all the upheaval that's happened, all these things has caused you not to cling to Christ, but you're drifting along. Your heart's torn. You're hurting. He comes to restore. He comes to call you to himself. He calls you to not be afraid. He calls you to follow him. Everyday aspects of life where you're called to obey, he calls you to leave what you depend upon. Just like he did Abraham. So Abram on the is in the book of Genesis, God speaks to him and he says, leave your community, leave your family, leave all that you've known, and I'm going to show you a new place, and I'm going to make your name great, and all the nations of the world will be blessed, and your inheritance will be like the sand of the seashore in people. Made no sense to Abram in the moment, but the Bible says Abram followed him, left it, and he found it. See, when you come to know Christ, he comes and shifts, your, shifts you from your old identity. Simon went from Simon to Simon Peter, and then hereafter is referred to as Peter. He has a new identity. And when you come to know Jesus, he gives you a brand new identity, a brand new you. A brand new start. A brand new life. Forgiven. Hopeful. That's what Jesus does. But understand this. He calls you to leave what you depend upon. Number three. Here's a third implication I want you to see for you. Jesus invites you to live for something far greater than what you view as success or your life goal. Look at verse 11 again with me. Let's see what happens. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Now this verse may seem shocking, or radical, or both, depending on who you are. But it's not meant to shock. Hear me. This was not meant to shock. Luke does not want you to leave this incident thinking, that's crazy town. 
But that is what we are tempted to think. Luke wants us to see that the normal response, the everyday ordinary response to Christ's call on your life is that you're going to follow him. What, what is primary gets shifted to something new. They left everything. What Peter left on that shore that day is going to be both similar and different depending on you. Now, I know, just like you do, when I pause and say everything, that has a lot of implications. Everything. I know it. You know it. So let me illustrate what I mean by this. Some of the everything is what you're not even aware of going on in your life. According to research from Gabe Lyons and Dave Kinneman in, in the book called Good Faith, 84% of Americans believe enjoying yourself is the highest goal of life. In other words, 8 out of 10 Americans are hedonists. It's just another way of saying that's a hedonistic philosophy. Enjoying your life, highest goal. So how do you do that? How do you find, enjoy, how do you enjoy yourself and find fulfillment? The study or the survey showed this. 86% of Americans say that you have to pursue the things that you desire the most. 91% of Americans More than 9 of 10 Americans affirm this statement. To find yourself, look, praise God, you don't know. Look within yourself. 91% to find yourself, look within yourself. So to sum it up, most Americans believe That the purpose of life is enjoyment that comes from looking deep within yourself to find your true self while pursuing whatever brings you happiness. You'd like to know what Christians said to this? I'm not talking about any Christians. I'm talking about church-going Christians. People who profess Christ and back it up by associating with a fellowship. What did they say to these same questions? 66% say the highest goal of life is enjoying yourself. 72% say you should pursue the things that you desire the most. And 76%, more than three of four, agree that looking within yourself is the way to find yourself. Apparently, when it comes to questions about purpose of life, Pursuit of happiness, Christians look a whole lot like the rest of the world. Following Christ is not following your heart. It is following your heart once Christ changes your heart. It's not about wherever your heart leads. No part of that has Christ as Lord of your life, where He gets to call the shots. Of your life. Your today. And every day that he gives you breath. 
Peter left security for something greater. Peter was a fisherman. His boats and his nets were his livelihood. Here, the text says, they left everything and followed him. So much of what we are gets wrapped up, wrapped up in what we believe is our identity, our work, what defines success, what our purpose in life is. But when Jesus gets in your boat, when he gets up close to you, he does not initiate a friendship with any of us that has no cost. But understand this. The cost to Christ is far more than any cost that you bear. See, you may be sitting here and you may think, oh, Brian, are you saying... Are you saying i got to leave my job? Are you telling me that I've got to quit my career? No. That makes no sense biblically. It makes no sense logically in the context of Scripture. However, make no mistake about this. Please hear this. Jesus comes to change what you trust. Where you find your meaning, what you define as success. He confronts what gives us security. And he calls you to a new life. A better life. A bigger life. Bigger than you. Peter was called to leave something significant for the promise of something better. The call to follow him was, was more than leaving the nets in the boat. That's significant. Really significant. but not nearly as significant as the other thing that was left on that shore that morning. I've been a Christian many years. I've read this text, my guess, hundreds of times, if not at least a thousand times in my life. And it was not until this week that I saw something that I never saw previously. They left more than the boats and the nets. They left the biggest success they had ever known. They left the multitude of fish laying there. They abandoned the security of that moment, their dream of business success for something greater. They were called to follow Jesus, to be his disciples, to catch men and women. Now, the English does not do this uh, justice, folks. It literally means to rescue people. Catch men, rescue people. You are called to trust Jesus with your life. And you're called to live with greater purpose. And that greater purpose is that your life is not solely about you. But you are sent to reach other people with the good news of Jesus Christ. The life-changing message. So where is your hope found? What do you bank 
your security on? Is it your bank account? Is it your job, your relationships, your health? Is it your brains, your education, your looks? Go down the line. Christ comes to those moments, wherever you place your trust, and he says, don't trust that, trust me. Follow me, don't trust that. It will require faith. It will, it will require you wrestling with what you really be, uh, believe about being a follower of Jesus. What does that mean? Christ does not inv- invite you to a casual acquaintance with him. He radically reorients our life. If you're going to see Jesus accurately, you're going to need to grapple with this reality. He wants more for your life and your future than you do. He wants you to know what it means to live sent, what it means to live with a new identity, and to live, folks, to live with purpose that will outlive you. Outlive you. I dare say, 200 years from now, most of your names will not be uttered in the year following. You can pile up all your stuff. It'll mean nothing. You follow Christ. You go hard after him. You let him reorient your life. You let him change your name. Change your identity, it will outlive you. It will outlive you. So, in conclusion, some of you have possibly lived with the idea that being a Christian is believing the right things, and somehow that improves your outcomes right now. And when you die, you get to go to heaven. There are boxes that you want to check, there are things that you want. You want a good life, you want to go to heaven. I think God has wired us that way. But there's no casual Christianity. What can seem radical because of what you value is actually ordinary when you see Jesus for who he is and he is to be known And after you know him, you'll grow to love him. You will treasure him above all things. Oh, he invites you to that. Now, I love a good alliteration. After all, I'm Baptist educated, all right? But alliterations help me sometimes, help me form my thoughts, and I can remember. So I've offered to you today an alliteration for Application, what do we do from here? Three things start with the letter L. First, you must listen. You and I must listen to what Christ says, what God's word tells us about you, about himself, and his claim on your life. God's word unapologetically shows us you need Jesus. You need him. 
And some of you know that intimately for the first time this morning. I have prayed for you. We have prayed for this moment. There is a sense going on inside you that your life is more than just about you. And Christ is calling you. And some of you, this year, other things have choked out the truth of listening to God. Hearing what God's word says about you and about us. About what we are to value above all things. Oh, listen to what God's word says. Number two, you've got to leap. So leaping means this. You must leap by trusting him with your life. About what the ultimate goal in life is. To know him, to love him, to glorify him, and to enjoy him forever because of what he's accomplished for you in the cross. The Bible says faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Exercise faith. Focus it on the Lord Jesus. Trust him with your life and with the promise from him that he's going to forgive you of your sin and to make you his disciple, to make you his follower. Here's the third thing. Listen, that's one thing. Leap is the second thing. Third thing, you've got to leave the consequences of this leap of faith in God's hands. As you leave a life of calling all the shots, make no mistake about it, some things will feel like a loss and it can be scary. The title of this message is the leap of your life. This is the leap of your life. Make no mistake about it. Christ calls you to something greater, something better. Just this week, a couple weeks ago, I sat down with a, uh, a young man who senses in his life that God may be calling him into ministry. Doesn't know what that looks like, doesn't know what it means, doesn't know what it means to get ready for that, doesn't know. He asked me, what should I do, what should I think? This is what I told him, I'm going to tell you the same thing. Go get a job that's hard and nobody thanks you for. Now, I'm not talking about ministry. You think that's what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about ministry. Everybody needs a job that's hard and you don't get thanked. Because in that, God humbles you. Following Christ is going to require you to be humbled. Wherever he goes, whatever he wants, it's going to require you to bend your knee to his lordship. But he promises far more when you get up and follow him. When you are willing to go wherever he wants and do whatever he bids for your life. Listen, leap, leave. And when you do... You're going to know the truth of C.S. Lewis's quote where he said, There are far, far better things ahead 
than any we leave behind. Oh, may we not forget that. And may you know what it means to respond to God's call on your life and for you to simply follow.